message of that song, keep in mind Colossians 3 says, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then will you also appear with him in glory. Christ is our life. I would like to describe a person briefly this morning, a person that I would, since would consider to be very great. The individual does not have a lot of influence in what we call a worldly way. You know, they wouldn't make the paper. People wouldn't say they have a lot of influence in our valley or in our community. But the individual is one who just behind the scenes, cares for people, reaches out and ministers to people, is able to observe others and recognize what their needs are, what their concerns are, and then in love, seek to minister to them without even letting the individual know. Has a deep passion for people and keeps kind of a mental record of people who have needs and concerns and prays for them. When someone is asking for an individual to volunteer, the individual will volunteer. But they really don't look for any credit. They're an individual who has a servant's heart. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark. Chapter 9, we'll begin reading with verse 33. Reading through verse 41. In the context, we find that Three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, had been in the mountain of transfiguration with Jesus. They had come down. The nine other disciples were not able to cast out a demon. And we know that Jesus then cast out that demon, and he says, this kind comes out with prayer. And then they left that place, and they're coming to Capernaum. And while they're traveling, and even before he teaches them that he must be betrayed into the hands of sinners, that he must die and he will rise the third day. And verse 33 says, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the road they had argued about who was the greatest. Setting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, if anyone wants to be first, He must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Teacher, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name. And we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him. Jesus said, No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about him. For whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth. Anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. This passage is in the context of humility, in the context of suffering. Jesus has talked about himself being betrayed into the hands of sinners. 
They will kill him, and then he'll rise the third day. But again, they did not understand where Jesus was coming from. So they're going to Capernaum. In the process of going to Capernaum, what happens? The twelve are arguing. And when Jesus asks them about it, they just keep silent. Why? Because they're arguing about who is the greatest. We humans are like that, aren't we? My brothers and I used to beat up on each other, trying to prove who was the greatest. We have elections. We want to be or know who is going to be the greatest and on and on. We're not dealing with something new when the 12 are arguing about who is the greatest. We do it today. And what is Jesus' response? They're silent, but Jesus, setting down, called the 12 and said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. There's a gracious, firm response by Jesus. If anyone wants to be first, if anyone wants to be before, if anyone wants to be above in terms of preference, he must be the very last, the least, the lowest, the farthest back. And also, he says, and be servant of all. An attendant, the one who is waiting on others. In the context of Jesus talking about his suffering, his rejection, his going to the cross, his rising from the dead, the disciples end up arguing about who's the greatest. Second time this happens. When Jesus talks about going to the cross. He says, if you want to be first, You've got to be last and servant of all. There's a choice. A choice to be last. A choice to be a servant. And it's very, very countercultural then and now. People say, I want to be a servant, I want to be last. Twelve, those that Jesus has been training for a number of years, they're the ones who are arguing about who is the greatest. Now, it's a radical statement to say if you want to be first, you have to be last and servant of all. Contemporary Jewish culture at that time was constantly immersed in the questions of procedure and rank. The German New Testament scholar, A. Shadler, says, and I quote, at all points in worship, in administration of justice, at meals and all dealings, there, was const- or there constantly arose the question of who was greater. And estimating the honor due each was a task which had constantly to be fulfilled and was felt to be very important, end of quote. Procedure in that culture, who came first, who came last, was a preoccupation. But Jesus confronts the culture and says, he who wants to be first must be last and to be servant of all. The night before Jesus died, we find that the 
12 are in the upper room along with Jesus. And no one was willing to condescend to wash the other or the feet of the others. And Jesus was the one who took off his outer garment. And he took a town, wrapped it around himself, and he became servant. The very Son of God, the creator, sustainer of the universe, became servant to the twelve by washing their feet. The twelve continue to argue about who is the greatest. And Jesus says, in a very radical way for that culture and our culture today, if you want to be first, then choose to be last. Choose to be servant of all. The word for servant is a Greek word from where you get where we get deacon. And basically it means to wait on tables. It refers to a personal devotion of serving others opposed to being a slave or for hire as a priest. The Greek word generally considered service, demeaning and undignified. Now if anyone wants to be first, let him be last and let him be a servant. Of all. Radical to the twelve. Radical in the day and age in which we live. I would pose a question What does a servant look like in living today? What does a servant look like in life today? If you're a man, what does it mean to be a servant? Think about that. What does it mean as a man to be a servant, to be last of all in day-by-day living? As a woman, what does it mean to be a servant in day-by-day living? What does it mean as an employer or an employee to be a servant? What does it mean as a student to be a servant, to be last of all? What does it mean as a citizen to be a servant? What does it mean as a husband or a father to be a servant? What does it mean as a wife or a mother to be a servant? What does it mean as a child to be a servant? If I want to be great as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, then I need to be willing to be last of all and servant of all. So what does Jesus do? He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, that is, taking this child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. The illustration that Jesus is using is a little child. Whoever welcomes one of these children, we need to seek to understand the culture of that day. Children at that time were not viewed very highly. Today, children are viewed highly. We spend all kinds of money. We want to do all kinds of things for kids today. But in that day, in a society where there was high infant mortality rate, 
and there was demand for human labor, there was no time to have sentimentality about infants and youths. In Judaism, children and women were largely considered add-ons whose connection to the society at general depended upon men. Children in general were thought of as not having arrived. They were good illustrations of the very last. And he is using a child to teach a lesson. I would pose a question. Children were the very last during the time of Jesus. Who is considered the very last in our culture today? Who is considered the very last in our culture today? Looking for some response on this one. Who is considered the very last in our culture today? Jesus? Some people's mind he is. Anyone else? Who's considered very last or the very least in our culture today? Homeless? Let's take the homeless. Think about the homeless. Think about the child. Jesus is using a child. He calls it, he has a child, he takes a child, takes him into his arms, and then he teaches a lesson. What does he say? Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. A child being considered the least in that day. And Jesus says, if you welcome this child, you're welcoming me. And if you welcome me, you're welcoming God also. See, he ties the child and welcoming the child to himself and to God. Whoever welcomes one of these in my name welcomes me. You welcome the child, welcomes Christ, and whoever welcomes Christ does not welcome me, but the one who sent me, the Father. That's being a servant. So in our culture today, you go downtown Wilkesbury and you find a homeless person and you reach out to them and minister to them being a servant. Jesus is saying to the twelve, if you want to be first, you've got to be last. You've got to be servant of all. Again, he uses the child as an example one who was willing to be a servant. I think of those who today minister in the slums of India, taking care of children, those in the street, particularly those that have leprosy, and just love them and care for them and at least seek to provide some care and concern as they die. Taking the least 
and serving them. Jesus says, whoever welcomes one of these little children, whoever welcomes that homeless person, that person with leprosy and so on, welcomes me. Not only me, but the one who sent me. See, in that context of being a servant's heart, we find that another aspect of being humble comes out in verse 38. Teacher, said John. Jesus has just talked about being a servant. And John says, teacher, we saw a man driving out demons in your name. We told him to stop because he was not one of us. You know, do they get it? Jesus just got done speaking about being a servant, and John says, teacher. You know, we saw this guy casting out demons. He's not one of us. The stopping, the reason John wanted them to stop is because he's not one of us. He's not one of the twelve. In a kind of an exclusive mindset. You know, you had a little click. No, we do that today. And we have our little click, and, you know, God forbid that someone else should, you know, be able to do something and influence someone. Apparently, John, being in the inner circle, may have influenced him. See, Peter, James, and John seem to have been in the inner circle with Jesus and spent a little more time. And here's John, the one to say, now, Jesus, we saw this guy casting out demons. What does Jesus say? Do not stop him. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth. Anyone who gives you a cup of cold water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. Again, the whole theme of being a servant, the whole theme of humility. Here's John being exclusive. Our little clique, our little group. Well, they're not part of our little group, our little clique, so let's tell them to stop. Jesus said, don't stop them. Someone does a miracle in my name. He can in the next moment say something bad. And then he goes on to, you know, if you really want to serve, you give someone a cup of water in my name you won't lose a reward. See, the whole idea of being humble, being a servant. Jesus talked about going to the cross, being betrayed into the hands of sinners. And what do the twelve argue about? Hey, who's the greatest here? Jesus says, look at the little child. And then John turns around and says, hey, that guy's not in our clique. And then later in the chapter, which we'll discuss next week, Jesus talks about, you know, causing the little one to sin. In light of what we discussed this morning, looking at some possible applications to today, we may want to sing before a large audience. God desires maybe being willing to sing to a widow in her home. Just being a servant to the least of these. People may want to speak to a large crowd. Jesus says, maybe you ought to teach your children at home.
We may want to be a sports star. An example may be of God's desire is to teach a fatherless child to play a sport. We may want to attend a concert of a well-known group. Maybe God desires that we attend a hymn sing, sung by believers who love God 24-7. Just how we think about the world in which we live. Another application. Seek to pursue being last. And being a servant. God, one of my passions in life is to be a servant. I want to be last. We rarely hear of people who have a life goal of being last on a servant in a small place and welcoming and ministering to those of little influence. Just stop and ponder that. Get your newspaper out and see where you find people being written about that just want to be last. They want to be a servant. Why wouldn't we hear that? Because those who are last and servants need no praise or recognition. I'm being a servant. No one needs to know about it. I don't need written up about it. I just want to be last and I want to serve. Oh, I may never sing or speak before the crowds, but I have been able to sing and speak to widows orphans. They're just a willingness to be a servant. The world's greats may be a well-known musician. Maybe God's greats are a humble couple who sing in nursing homes or for individuals or for shut-ins. Again, not knocking well-known musicians. Might have a choir who practices to perform a cantata for a large crowd. Maybe God's great as a choir who practices to sing in a nursing home and or a senior citizen's gathering. Maybe the world's great is to be a well-known pastor or speaker. Maybe God's great is being a faithful pastor off the beaten path. The world's great may be a well-known author. Maybe God's great is just being a faithful Sunday school teacher. See, how the world thinks and how God thinks are different. How the religious community thinks and how God thinks are different. Because Jesus is speaking to the twelve, those that he has trained for ministry. And they're arguing about who's the greatest. And he says, if you want to be first, then you have to be last and servant of all. Think about, which I mentioned earlier, the parallel between serving a child, serving the homeless, serving those with leprosy, thus Christ, and thus God. Jesus identifies himself with his Father. So if you help the reject of that day, a child, you're ministering to Christ, you're ministering to God. (laughs) 
What does the following communicate about leaders? And the reason I'm raising these questions is because Jesus is speaking to the 12 who were being trained to lead and minister about a pastor who wants a bigger church to have a greater influence. There was a well-known man, and if I mention the name, probably many of you wouldn't recognize him, as he was talking to a bunch of preachers, those being trained to the pa- going to the pastorate, he said, if you don't have a passion to be the pastor of one of the 500 largest, largest churches in America, there's something wrong with you. Jesus is speaking to the twelve and in speaking to religious leaders today, do I have a passion to be the pastor of a larger church? That's the way we think. When I'd been here, I think it was seven or eight years, someone came up to me and said, Pastor, I know why you're here. You're here to get some experience so you can go on to something bigger and better. I said, if I go on to something bigger and better, it's going to take more than me to move me along, you know, because I just want to minister for Christ. How about the singer who just wants a larger audience? Got to have a greater influence. Or a singing group who will push your popularity. I want to be great. Jesus said, be willing to be last servant of all. About a speaker who advertises himself, you know. Ah, you got to listen to me. I got to get my name out in front of people. But a radio speaker who wants more stations to have a greater influence. Or how about just a desire to want the credit? If we're not careful, we can ignore, ignore locally gifted people for the greats, and that discourages the average believer. We talk too much about the greats in the religious world. We say to the average believer, you just don't have it. Jesus said, if you want to be first, be last servant of all. We may peddle our products because we want to be great. A couple other items. Why do we exalt certain items and ignore others? We may exalt a church with numbers and programs, but do we exalt a church that worships well and prays? We may exalt a church that gives what I want. But we may in the process ignore a church that confronts and disciplines sin. We may want a, an exalt a music group that is popular and ignore music groups that honors the Lord or honors God. 
we may provide what people want and in the process ignore Scripture which seeks to provide what God wants. See, God's economy is so much different than the world in which Jesus ministered and so much different than the world in which we live today. In light of what Jesus is saying, it seems we should have a passion to be a servant. To be last. To welcome little children. To welcome the down and trodden in our culture today for God's honor, for God's glory. Question, do you desire to be last? Do you desire to be a servant? God, I just want to be last. I want to be a servant. God honors our desires. He seems to work according to our desires. Do you need to repent and turn from pursuing being great? A few years ago, I was talking to a pastor who moved into our area, and uh, he said to me, you know, I finally got beyond thinking I was going to get a bigger and better and more effective church, whatever that is. He said, I've learned that God can use me where I am. What was he saying? He finally repented of thinking he as a leader deserves something bigger and better. God may bless us and something may happen in our life that the world may consider great, but do we have a servant's heart? Are we willing to be last? There's a lady who passed away a number of years ago who had a heart for God. She faithfully lived with a difficult husband for some 50 years. She dealt with difficult children, difficult in the sense that most of her children were not responsive to God. She faithfully prayed for the down and out. She opened her home to the down and out. She never made it in the newspaper. She praised those who were not of her stripe, religiously maybe, but yet loved God and were serving Him. And she died last at a servant. But first, because she was last and a servant. How has the Lord spoken to you this morning? Will you say, God, I want to respond to how you have challenged me, how you've ministered to me, how you've encouraged me, how you've confronted me. 
as we pause in silence.